1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and we got a lot to cover, so, so we're going to hop right into it, but I want to give you a little review in case maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you're like me and you're just really forgetful. So I'm going to give you a little review of, of where we've been before we finish up this, this book. And obviously this book is written by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to uh, other followers of Jesus that are they're being persecuted and they're suffering in the Roman Empire. And they're, they're going through all these things, and he's writing to them to encourage them and to give them some handles on how to deal with, with suffering and persecution. And, you know, you might say, you know, I'm not really suffering now. Life's good, this and that. But we've seen in this book that, that it's like a life jacket. And Mark has used that analogy multiple times, that it's a life jacket. You know, you don't put a life jacket on when you're drowning, do you? You put a life jacket on before you're drowning. And that's what this book has been like for us, to be able to learn these things, learn how, to, how, our, uh, how we should deal with suffering, and we should put this on before that suffering comes. And maybe you are dealing with suffering, and this book is very applicable then. But also, uh, my son, he got a car this week, and he said to me, I don't know how to change a flat tire. And I said, well, we better teach you that before you're on the freeway somewhere and you get a flat tire. That's what this book is like teaching you some things before maybe you deal with some of the suffering that these people were doing. So that's kind of where we've been, and we've been learning, learning some stuff through 1 Peter that way. But today, Peter's closing up this book, and let me ask you a question. Whenever you think of the Apostle Peter, what are some things that come to your mind? Maybe impulsive, maybe overconfident, Maybe a loudmouth, maybe making promises that he doesn't follow through on, uh, unreliable, maybe even prideful. These are all the things that we might think about when we think about the Apostle Peter in the Gospels. But the Apostle Peter that we see writing 1 Peter is a whole different guy. For the last 30 plus years, the Lord has been working in him. And, and changing that prideful, impatient, you know, just loudmouth guy into someone different. And as we're going to see today, he's going to talk a lot about humility. Humility during suffering. And that's what we're going we're to spend a lot of time on that today. But this Apostle Peter that we see here writing this is, is so much different. The Lord has sanctified him and he's changed him through the years just like he's going to do to all of us. That's what God wants to do. God wants us to come as we are, and then he wants to change us from there to be more conformed to his image. So that's really what we're going to focus a lot on today is humility during suffering. But there's some other things that we're going to learn uh, as the Apostle Peter exhorts these people in these churches. So why don't we hop into 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read through it pretty quick here, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down piece by piece and see what the Lord has for us today. So let's look at 1 Peter 5, and verse 1 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, 
not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Why don't we pray real quick and just ask God to use that in our lives today. God, thank you for your incredible word that we can trust, that we can rely on, that we can stand on, that gives us wisdom, the guidance, protection. And we just pray today that you would use your word to impact our lives. Pray that you would uh, take it and just bury it deep in our hearts. Not just knowledge, but something that changes us. Something that helps us to, to walk differently this week. And God, I just, just love you. Thank you that you want to join us when we gather together. And I pray you'd be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's start here and break this down some. Let's look at some shepherd while suffering. So the Apostle Peter, he starts out with some exhortation, okay, or some, some encouragement and challenge for these, these people he's writing to. And he, and he says, I exhort the elders. So what's an elder? All right, what do you think of when you think of an elder? Someone that's old, right? Well, it's not just an old person, but in the church, a lot of times leadership is called elders. And they may be old or they may be younger, but what's most important is spiritual maturity. And the Apostle Peter here, he writes to these elders, the leaders in the church, and he exhorts them. He's got some things to tell them to help them deal with the suffering that's coming their way. And he says that he was a witness to Christ's suffering. He saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw his suffering. He saw how Jesus dealt with suffering. He had the greatest example of all time. So he lays out these things that, you know, I have the credentials to exhort you today in these things of suffering. And the first thing he exhorts them with is shepherding God's flock. 
He says, elders, leaders in your church, shepherd God's flock that's among you. Other versions say, feed the flock. Feed it. Now, I don't know if you remember, but in John 21, after Jesus has died, buried, and rose again, he comes to Peter because Peter actually denied Jesus three times. And he comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, of course I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you, Lord. You know that. Shepherd my sheep. And the third time he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter never forgot that. Peter never forgot that from Jesus. And he's passing that on to these elders. He's passing them on to, to shepherd God's flock the way that Jesus told him to shepherd his sheep. And he passes that on. And these shepherds, to be a shepherd is a serious thing. To shepherd God's people is not just, you know, something you think about once in a while. Shepherding God's people is serious. But when you picture a shepherd in your mind, do you picture a little wimpy guy out in the field playing his harp while the sheep are just walking around? Do you picture it that way? Because shepherds aren't like that. They're not like that. Uh, you guys are familiar with King David, right? He was a shepherd. He shepherded his parents, father's sheep, before he became king. And he was out there, and we find that, uh, that he wasn't a wimpy little guy. Because in 1 Samuel 17, we've got the battle of David and Goliath. You guys remember that story, right? And what happens is you've got over here, you've got the Philistines. And they've got their champion, Goliath, the giant. And then you over here, you've got the nation of Israel. And they're cowering in their tents because they're scared. But David comes to bring food to his brothers at the battle. And he sees Goliath. And then he says, I'll fight him. This little guy, this, this little wimpy shepherd. Okay? I'll fight him. But look what it says here in 1 Samuel 17. It says, but Saul replied, that's King Saul at that time. He says, you can't go and fight the Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth. And if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. The uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Does that sound like a wimpy shepherd to you? He's killed lions and bears. This shepherding thing is serious. It's serious. And by the way, he does play the harp too. But, but he, he's a bad shepherd. So, so Peter is telling these shepherds, guys, feed the flock. Shepherd them. And the apostle Paul, while he was shepherding, and suffering, he did that together. He didn't stop shepherding when he was suffering. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28 tells us, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. This is, this is the Apostle Paul describing his suffering. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And on frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, he's, he's suffering. Not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me with my concern for all the churches. He says, while I'm dealing with all this suffering, I'm concerned about shepherding these churches that I've established. As he travels around and visits them and shepherds them and encourages them, all this suffering is happening to him. But he didn't stop shepherding. He says, guys, even, even though you're suffering, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. And what is the best way to keep a sheep alive? Got to feed it, right? So elders, feed your sheep. Those of you in here that lead people, feed your sheep. Feed them the word of God. Maybe they're young in the faith. Give them milk. Maybe they're a little older. Give them some steak. But either way, feed them. Feed the flock. And that's what Peter is telling his, his uh, friends here, to feed the flock. He also tells them, though, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. Not overseeing out of compulsion. He's like, you shepherd because you love the flock. Not because someone told you to do it. Not because you have to. It's not a job. Do you guys remember that cartoon with the, the big sheepdog? And the wolf that's trying to get the sheep, and that sheep dog that has to check in every day to the job. His name's Ralph and Sam. I don't know. But if you're old like me and like those cartoons. But it's not a job like Sam, where he checks in every day. You do it because you do it willingly. You do it willingly. Someone doesn't have to twist your arm. It's a calling and a gift from God to shepherd God's people. He says, don't do it out of greed for money, but do it eagerly. We don't shepherd because of money. Okay, it's obvious pastors don't get paid a ton, right? You know why they don't get paid a ton? Because they're shepherd either way. Good shepherds will shepherd no matter what. And I want to show you a picture of a shepherd. If you got that up there, Kyle. This is a friend of mine in Panama. His name's Barnabé. And he gets like 50 bucks a, a, a month. <laughs> and he goes and he shepherds a village called Balsa. He shepherds in. And I just actually was WhatsApping with him yesterday. And, and he's doing some shepherding in an in a area called Hacha. And this is in the mountains of Panama. And, and he does it because he loves to shepherd people. Not because he's getting paid a lot. Okay. But that's the mindset that a true shepherd has. You don't do it for money, but you do it eagerly. You do it eagerly. Whenever I tell my dog, hey, let's go for a walk, do you think he just lays there? No, he's up and he's over and he's standing here, his tail's wagging, he's so excited, he's out of control. He's doing it eagerly. He wants to go for a walk. So whenever you think about shepherding your flock, did your tail get wagging? 
Do you get excited? You should. That's what Peter's saying. Do it eagerly. And he says, don't lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. You know, shepherding is not lording. Okay, you're not lording over the people that you're leading. You're nurturing. You're caring for them. You're protecting them. You're feeding them. You don't have dominion over them. There's a difference. You're not their master, but you're their leader. And you're their example. That's what he says there. He says, be examples to your flock. You know, your flock is looking to you, whether it's good times or times of suffering. And they're looking to you on how to, how to respond, how to act. And that's what being a shepherd is all about, being an example. And you know, through, through my years, I've had a couple guys in my life that have been incredible examples to me. But one guy, the late Frank Pardue, he's passed away now. But I used to think pastors are really weird. And you might think they're really weird still, but still, but, but I used to really think they were weird. Like, and this guy was a pastor, and he asked if I wanted to play basketball with him. And we played ball together, and he schooled me. But he wasn't a jerk about it. <laughs> he was, it was really cool. He, he just had a different way of, of living and acting. And then he took me under his wing and began discipling me and showing me from example how I should live and how I should follow Jesus. And he was an incredible, incredible impact in my life. But I'm a visual person. You might be too. I learn best visually. I need an example. I need to see someone do something. If I see someone do something once, I'm good. I can do it then. So I need examples. And that's what Peter is telling his elders to do. Be an example. Let people see you do things. And they'll learn. So if you follow all of these things Peter is saying, Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. If you shepherd this way, there's a special reward for you, a special reward. It's a crown of glory from Jesus. And not just that, one that, that doesn't fade away. We're not talking about a Burger King crown, okay? We're talking about a crown that doesn't fade away, an eternal crown which you'll end up thrown back at the feet of Jesus because it's all about him. But he'll give you that reward. So seeing the lives of people change to glorify God more and receiving this reward at the end, that's, that's why shepherds do it, right? That's why shepherds shepherd. They want to see people's lives change. And unfortunately, in our world, you see a lot of church leaders failing, having failures, and, and different things that really shouldn't happen. But it all comes down to these things Peter is saying. If you follow these things, shepherds, if you follow these things, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. And what it really comes down to also is pride and humility. If you're a shepherd that gets a lot of pride from what you do, you're going to fall. But if you're a humble shepherd, God is going to do some incredible things. 
He's going to do some incredible things. So we need to humble ourselves before God and our sheep or we'll become prideful and fall. So why don't we explore this topic of humility a bit more in these next couple verses here. So let's look at humility while suffering. Humility while suffering. And let me just remind you real quick in verse 5. It says, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, so this whole time, you've, if you've been thinking, Phew, this message isn't for me. I'm not an elder. I'm not leading anyone right now. Now it's your turn. Okay? In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, though, elders and younger, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. So as elders, we're seeking to shepherd with the word of God by our example and part of that example is showing them how to be humble. How to be humble in submitting ourselves to God's authority so that we can be an example of humility to our sheep. And for the younger, humbling yourself under your leadership. Does anyone else struggle with that? Just me? You guys' arms work? Okay. Everyone, put your hands up. I want to make sure your arms work. Okay. All right. Mostly me. My, my ideas are always better. I would have always done something a little different that would have been a lot better. You know? And I can be so prideful that way. It's so easy, isn't it, to look at leadership, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our government, all these things. It's easy to do that. It's easy to not humble ourselves under our leaders. But this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful that shepherds and sheep have to humble themselves. Because we all have to be humble under the Lord, under God. And if we're all walking in humility and we're all humbling ourselves, that's the only way this whole church thing works. Right? It doesn't work if your leaders are prideful, if your sheep are rebellious. Everybody has to be humble and work together and trust each other and follow God's leading. And I think that's partially why the church in America has so many issues. Because what does it say here? It says that God resists the proud. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if our churches are full of proud leaders and proud sheep, God is going to resist being there. I was thinking about this, and I'm like, wow. There's, it's so important to be humble. Because, guys, we come here every other Sunday, come together, and we ask God to join us, and we ask God to, to get glory from our singing to him and all this and that. But if we're not coming humble... God is going to resist us. So it's so important for us when we come in here, every day when we wake up, but when we come in here together, just check ourselves. Say, God, I need to humble myself under you. 
as we come together. But we see all through the Bible that God helps us with being humbled. He doesn't just say, okay, go humble yourself. We see all through the Bible, God is in the, the, uh, the act of helping people become humble. And we actually see the individuals, kings, whole cities, whole nations. God brings things to bring them to their knees, to humble them. But we also see that God spares individuals, cities, nations, because of people that will humble themselves before God. And we actually see an example in 2 Kings 22 of an 18-year-old king named Josiah. And he gets a hold of God's word, and he, and he sees that there's, if their nation doesn't follow God, that God is going to come and have, like, destroy them. And he sees that, and it freaks him out. And he's, he cries out to God. And look what it says here. It says, say this to the king of Judah. That's, this is Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says as for the words that you heard. Because your heart was tender and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, because he humbled himself, therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Because he humbled himself, as a leader, as a shepherd, he was saved. But that whole generation, as long as he was alive, was saved. God says, I'm not going to bring that, that discipline that, that you guys deserve until after you're dead. That whole generation experienced something they wouldn't have, all because of a humble heart, a tender heart. Do you see the importance of humility? Do you see this? And Peter is saying, you got to have humility while you're suffering too. you got to have humility. And this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is an incredible training ground for all of us on how to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You remember verse 6 there? He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see, he is the great shepherd, and we're all his sheep. And we need to humble ourselves under there. And in America, as we grow up, are we taught to humble ourselves under our leaders? No, we're taught to go get it. Go get yours. You know, if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. You know, and, but God has a little different path. He tells us, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and then he'll use that hand to exalt us when he sees fit. When he sees fit. You guys remember Joseph in the Bible? Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Nice guys. They sold him into slavery in Egypt. But he continued to be humble before God even though he was falsely accused by Pharaoh's wife. 
He was put in prison. He continued to be humble before God. And you know God made him second in power in Egypt? He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and God lifted him up. And because of that power he gave him, he saved Egypt, and he saved his family's life through this incredible famine. But what an example of being humble through suffering and how God will raise you up if, you, if you're humble when he sees fit, when he sees fit. But not only Joseph, Jesus is our ultimate example of this because Jesus is God, right? That's what the Bible tells us. But he came to this earth, humbled himself to come in the form of human flesh. Could you imagine being the almighty creator God that had to humble yourself to live in stinky flesh, <laughs> sinful flesh that, that for us is sinful, but he didn't have sin, but to live in this flesh. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. The same way Jesus had the attitude of humbling himself and coming to us. It says, who existed in the form of God, because he was God. He did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. When he came, he didn't want to exploit that to everyone. He didn't come in this shining, glowing form. He came in a human body. But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Wow. God humbled himself so much that he allowed his creation to put him on a cross and kill him. Is there any other better example of humility than our Lord Jesus? It says, for this reason, though, for this humility that we see in Jesus, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, just like we sang about. Can you see this? He's humbled under the hand of God, but then God exalts him so that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, what an incredible example of humility for us. But the question is, have you humbled yourself before Jesus today? The chief shepherd, have you humbled yourself? And the bigger question is, are you even part of his flock today? Have you humbled yourself and understood that as a sinner, you need a savior. As a sheep, you need a shepherd. And we all need to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness for our sins. And whenever we do that and we trust in the shed blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross as he was being humbled, when we trust in that to save us, and to pay for our sins, he'll forgive us. And he'll invite us 
into the flock. And you will forever be in the flock. So he says, cast all your cares on him today. Maybe today you have a lot of cares. A lot of cares. Cast them on him. Because he cares about you. That creator that created everything, that humbled himself, even dying on a cross for you and I. He did that because he cares for you. I don't, he, just, he just cares for you. He loves us. He loves us. It's just mind-boggling, isn't it? That Jesus would love us enough to do that for us. So if you come to him today, confess your sins, ask him to forgive you, he will. And he'll start you on that path, just like he did with Peter, of helping you grow and grow closer to him. Wow, humility and suffering. Then he gives us this little section, which I need to finish up quickly here, folks. Uh, This next section here, he talks about basically being ready for battle while suffering. He says that we need to be sober-minded. Our minds need to be sober. They need to keep focused, calm, cool, and collected because we need to be alert at all times. We need to be alert. It says we need to be alert because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And these people that are experiencing persecution and suffering, they know what that's all about. There's folks prowling around that are seeking to devour them. And he says, be alert, be sober-minded. My father-in-law was in the Vietnam conflict, and part of his job was to look for booby traps. That sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds like a lot of fun. But that was part of his job. He had to be alert. He had to be focused so he could see these things so the rest of him and his comrades didn't, didn't get devoured by these things. That's what we need to be like. We need to be alert. We need to be aware of what's going on so the enemy can't devour us. But Peter says to resist the devil. He says resist with firm faith, okay? We resist the, Lord, or we resist the devil when our faith is firm, okay? When we've got incredible faith in Jesus, we can resist him and be encouraged because there's tons of people around the world that are experiencing what you're experiencing. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Whether it's China, Nigeria, Sudan, Colombia, all these different countries around the world where to be a Christian means suffering. To be a Christian could possibly mean death. And I know we live in America, we don't hear about those things often. And we, you know, we have to deal with our own things that seem so much smaller when we hear about these, but, but there's suffering around the world. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow believers are experiencing suffering around the world right now. We need to pray for them. So we must resist him. Resist the enemy, endure suffering because of verse 10. It says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Now listen to this real close. 
will himself, not some of my angels, some of my other disciples, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Our God is a personal God. Our God does not just send other people to do his work. Our God is personal. Look at this. Himself, he'll restore us. When you're suffering, he'll restore you. He'll establish you, strengthen you, support you. Because he has dominion forever and ever. Amen? He has dominion. That's our God. He has dominion forever. He has the power to help us. He has the power to give us strength, to restore us, to give us the ability to make it through suffering. And that's what Peter is saying here. Guys, trust the Lord. He's there for you. He's there for you. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I'm able to do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We can do all things through him. After the devil tears you down, he'll build you back up. Jesus will build you back up. So let me summarize this for you. You can give your life to Jesus and endure any suffering that comes your way simply because Jesus is with you through it and will personally strengthen you because only he has dominion forever. Amen? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Band, you can come on up. I'll finish up here quickly. So Peter, you know, in case you didn't realize, this is a letter. This is a real letter written by a real person to a real group of people. This is a real letter. So whenever you write an email, what do you do at the end? Hey, have a great day, Chris, or whatever. This is kind of Peter's way of closing out his letter to his friends here. And he says in verse 12, through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Don't let the suffering wear you down. Stand firm in the grace of God. And he greets them from Babylon and his son, spiritual son, Mark. Not Mark Jones. But, uh, and then he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Our culture doesn't really do the kiss of love thing, but back in that culture, they were cool with coming up and kissing each other on the cheek or whatever. It was a, a holy kiss, right? So if you really want to do that, go for it. But, uh, and then he says, which is so fitting to this group of people experiencing suffering. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So whether you're an elder or you're a youngin, keep moving forward in humility while suffering for Jesus.